Hi, I'm Ankur. And I'm Phoebe. And this is Arts Work. We work at Sadler's Wells, a leading dance organisation. And this is a podcast where we look at different roles in the creative industries and how you could find your way in. Hello, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm good, not bad. So who are we speaking to? This week, we're speaking to Phil Douglas, who is the founder of Curious Arts, which is an organization in the Northeast of England that celebrates LGBTQIA plus arts in the Northeast. And they run the Curious Festival, which has become one of the biggest queer arts festivals in the whole country. And we wanted to speak to Phil this week because we wanted to talk to somebody who had identified a need within his community who had gone, how can I meet that need? And then was able to start with a kernel of an idea, take it from there and scale it up into something really big and meaningful. Incredible. So he's an an entrepreneur, I suppose. (laughs) He's an entrepreneur and he describes himself as a producer. And the way he thinks about being a producer is somebody who takes an idea and makes it happen. And everybody needs that, don't they? I want one of those. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both, Phoebe. What Phil talks about is how this whole journey for him started by going, there aren't enough queer nights in my local area. And there are in other areas. So why don't I throw a queer club night? And he throws one club night. And from that, he grows new propositions and new ideas. And it becomes essentially this movement through which he's serving so many different needs. But what I love is he also gives a real set of practical tips on the steps you can take, the skills you can build, where you can get them, how you can do it, even if you don't identify as a producer yet. It's not, for a lot of people, that's a big word, a big title. Mm. And he goes, these are just simple skills, simple jobs that add up to being a producer. And he lays out how he does that. Great. I love that it starts with a disco. <laughs> All great things start with a disco. Can you introduce yourself the way you'd like to be introduced? Hi, my name's Phil and my pronouns are he, him. I've come from Newcastle today. I am a proud kind of queer, soft speaking northerner who's passionate about dance and arts, particularly queer and outdoor arts. I'm originally from Stockton, so that's Teesside near Middlesbrough, if people are familiar with that. Let's start Teesside. What was that like? What does it feel like growing up there? What did it feel like for you? Stockton is like a small, gritty, but glorious northern town. It's famous for a few things. I think I lived on the largest housing estate in Europe for a while. I'm sure it's been as bigger ones now elsewhere. It was interesting and challenging and not necessarily the warmest place to grow up as an awkward, neurodiverse little queer person who didn't know what they were. So I think it's... um, it's, a, it's in my heart and I, and I think that we all have two homes. There's the home that we make when we settle somewhere and there's the home that we hail from. And we're definitely a, a person formed from both of those two parts of the spectrum, but everything in between. I cut my teeth kind of in my, my craft as like a nightclub promoter or, a, um, or an arts, uh, professional arts project manager at Middlesbrough Council. So working with quite um, interesting and challenging uh, communities who've probably, you know, had years and years of social deprivation. If we, you know, they would never say, I live in a socially deprived area, but this is the terminology that, that is drummed into, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I think people who are hungry uh, for more and entrepreneurial and frustrated, but yeah, creative T-side is definitely in my blood. How would you describe what you do? For me, I would use the word producer 
because I didn't have found comfort with that <laughs> until I was about 30. I was a, a development officer. I was a festivals coordinator. I was some, a something manager. And I think that when I really drilled down into what was the consistent thing uh, that, that drove me and was my passion, it was like making something happen. So from idea, uh, from a conversation or identifying a bit of a, a gap or an opportunity to kind of um, fleshing that out with people and thinking, what do we do about that? What's the response? So then, yeah, kind of forming an idea or response to a situation and then fundraising for that, building the partners, finding the stakeholders, charming people or begging them to give stuff, uh, money or resource or time or space. So I would say, I'd say that's my understanding of what a producer does. They um, support or, or enable the response or development of an idea. And growing up in Teesside, did you know this, this role producer existed or that that's something you might want to do? I would say absolutely not. You know, you see it on the um, credits of a film or something, producer, and you kind of think, oh, that was my only reference to producing or what a producer was, executive producer, assistant producer. I was like, oh, there's lots of people who are involved in producing this uh, this thing. But um, no, I think that all the language around jobs, job titles, roles, and how people describe themselves wasn't really visible about these words like producer or director. It felt alien to me. It definitely didn't resonate or make sense to me. I definitely didn't see any connection with it. So how did you go from being, to use your words, a young, awkward kid in Stockton who didn't really necessarily know what a producer is or does or looks like to being exactly that role in a really meaningful way in your community. Finding yourself, and you find yourself in many ways, in many times. But I think I acknowledged to myself mid-teens, so secondary school, that I did feel a bit different, a little bit sat at the back, withdrawn, um, trying to find out who you are and not necessarily just complying and joining in. So I definitely pretended to have a skin infection for the most of secondary school. And my mum was up for it. She was up for signing this letter that got me out of PE. So I didn't feel really awkward in what I felt was quite a hyper-masculine kind of situation. It was sporty. I was a bit more quiet and wanted to be creative or go to a chess club or whatever. I didn't necessarily do too well at school because I didn't enjoy it. So I kind of... I was that kid who used to buy the, the all-day bus ticket and just stay on the bus and not go to school. So I didn't do well in my GCSEs. And then I ended up on a course in computing for about six months in a college. And I was doing that because I felt like the work, I had to do something. You know, I know the system, I know the game, your parents or whoever expect you to go to college and progress and you have to commit to these grades and things like that or subjects. But I couldn't do it. So I kind of like quit that IT spreadsheets and computers. And I was like, who's chatting? What's going on? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I quit college and I ended up working at Pizza Hut, House of Fraser, which is like a department store, and also in a nightclub. So this is like 16 and a half years old. I just knew how to work. And then the one thing that I'd found myself enjoying was going to like a couple of nights a week, a dance class with my friend. So when it got round to that time of applying to college again, I was like, I need to get back in this system thing. I need to do something. I applied to do dance at Middlesbrough College. And it went from there, really. I decided to go to Northumbria and study at Dance City in Newcastle because it was still in the northeast. It was still familiar. There was like, you know, an hour and a half bus journey home if something went wrong. And then in my second year at university, while I was studying choreography, 
I started like a business idea, I guess. So I started a, a nightclub night in Middlesbrough, just a one-off Sunday night because me and some friends had realized that, you know, maybe the, the scene there wasn't that fun or funky or inclusive. It was pretty stale. So we put on a one-off night and, you know, there was hula hoopers and uh, podium dancers and flame throwers and flame eaters and stilt walkers. And it felt like, gosh, no one's doing this in Middlesbrough. And then the, the kind of the gay or the queer night was like, the fun or the funky one. Anyway, 400 people turned up out of nowhere on a Sunday night and it was amazing. But the, the challenge was at the end of the night, they were like leaving going, when's the next one? And we hadn't really thought about it. We were just like responding to something that we thought wasn't that good. So anyway, that evolved into a monthly night and then we got a weekly night and the weekly night was called Saturday. And then that evolved and we had a Friday night called Pout and we had a, um, a monthly Friday called funky stiletto we went around charity shops and got the odd stilettos that people had donated that yeah. you can't sell and we made that we glittered them up and hung them from the ceiling and people stole them it was great and then yeah things happened like financial crashes and things like that so it was time to get out of nightclub life but i was the meantime i was doing that i was still working at middlesbrough council i worked at the theater royal in newcastle for a while so i was like a bit of a workaholic but it wasn't healthy i was working all the time but i was working on things that i loved and that i was deeply invested in so that was what kind of fed me and it, it gave me that creative energy but it also replaced the spaces in your life that you might have had a hobby and also I found a lot of friends in the work that I did so it felt quite quite comfortable and wholesome despite very tiring yeah that's a lot of different hats that you're wearing through your 18 to 30 period as you describe it and how, how did you go about navigating that and going this is the collection of things that I want to do I think it snowballs as well so I think once you start to get in the habit of giving yourself permission. So that's what I think. I think somebody somewhere gave me permission and said, why not? And that's where it came from. I'd been working as a glass collector and then a bar, uh, uh, somebody on the bar at this nightclub for a few years. And then um, I said, you know, what about doing a queer night? And the person who owned the bar, who was probably thinking money, you know, mm. which is fine, Pink was pound. like, why not? And I was like, oh, so somebody is giving me the green light here. And also there's no um, rules here. I can do what I think is best. So obviously I overly researched it and I, you know, flyered and it probably didn't break even or anything for, for months because I was just flying everywhere from like North Allerton and North Yorkshire and Durham and Newcastle. I mean, people did come from those places, but it was mainly a Teesside crowd. I think strong female presences in my life, like my mum, my sister, the college tutor, my first manager at Middlesbrough Council, women who were just like, you can do this, keep going, or I believe in you. Like I applied for the job at Middlesbrough Council and I left the Theatre Royal in Newcastle, which was my first job after uni. And I didn't get the job at Middlesbrough Council, but then I got offered a freelance job there. So I think sometimes it's like, even if you don't think you're going to get the job, applying for it, because that is an opportunity where someone in the organization is going to read about what you can do or what you've done. And it's not always about that job. It's about, is that the best chance of an introduction you can get with that organization? So yeah, I was juggling all those jobs, but I was developing at Middlesbrough Council as an arts and events and festivals development officer, running big festivals. Was that during university, after university? How did you end up at Middlesbrough Council? First job I got was at Newcastle Theatre Royal as a learning officer. And then I applied for a job at Middlesbrough Council and I didn't get it. So then they asked me to work on this dance project and it just grew from there. And then when another job came up, which was a formal job, 
I applied for that and was the assistant arts officer for a few years before progressing. I guess it comes back to this this theme of giving yourself permission to ask someone, like, hi there, do you know of any jobs? Or hi there, can I shadow you? Can I watch this? Can I come to this? Can I help you out? You obviously, you obviously need to have a little bit of time that you can give to that. But I think it, looking back, I did put quite a bit of time into building a network or just being visible within like a local creative community. This is one particular moment that stands out to me, but with my work with Middlesbrough Mela, I kind of advocated that we joined a National Mela network, and it was run by Ajay Chabra, who was based in London at Nutcut. What is a Mela? It's a gathering. It's, it means gathering, coming together. It's a celebration within South Asian communities. It's just an incredible kind of community celebration that, that, that happens. It's, it's kind of unwillingly inviting you know the noise or the buzz or the color of clothing or the fashion stalls just draws people in whether it's in a public park or in a town center growing up in an indian community my local mela was the first time i realized i wasn't the only asian queer in the village wow because there was a parade in which the gay asian community was marching and i saw gay asian queers it was a revelation and that it was so powerful for me. Yeah, that's an incredible moment, isn't it? Of representation and and just acknowledgement and validation that there's there's other people like you. You're part of a community. Yeah, a conversation that happened after an event with that was this. Ajay said to me, you know, what you do is producing. You produce projects, ideas. You're supporting artists to realise their ideas. You're fundraising. You're evaluating. And it kind of just sat with me and I was like, maybe that is what I do. And then coupled with kind of really challenging times at, at councils, you know, budget cuts, local authority cuts. And also, you know, I give credit to great cultural champions in councils, but there's also shifts in politics all the time. And then there's a lack of understanding of the value of what arts and culture can do to support initiatives, public health, um, local civic pride. I left but I didn't leave with too much bravery because I went to a different council so I went to Gateshead Council and I moved there and that was that was also really interesting you know my job was cultural delivery officer I mean what does that mean I'm delivering culture to the people of Gateshead it doesn't make sense to me those titles but anyway I took it it was full time and I quickly negotiated it down so I could do my other stuff but yeah I, I did everything from sorting out the graffiti on the bottom of the angel of the north's feet to you know contributing to managing the Great North Run or a big light festival or the Great Exhibition of the North. So it's really interesting how the broad spectrum of things that cultural officers in, and teams in council have to deal with. Which um, is essentially producing. Yeah, it It's is. the same as what you do now, but within a council setting, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, but they don't use that language. So that's what I mean. It feels like that's part of what creates the distance between freelancers and arts organisations and councils because there's just a different language and also definitely a different pace of energy. Public art, public happenings are so important to individuals and communities. Tell us about Curious. Curious is something that I probably care for more than everything except for my partner. <laughs> so it it came from that experience that we've just talked about, about, you know, lots of different jobs and working and local authority. And I got to the ripe age of 30. And for some people, that's nothing. 
And I thought for me it was nothing as well. It was going to be nothing. But what happened before that was I came out of working in the nightclub side of things and a long-term relationship ended. So I was kind of like, who am I? So there's a time for me I needed to, to unpick who I was on my own and what do I want to do? So I, I realised I'd fallen out of love with my job. And for me, I have to love my job. So I just started asking myself, what do I want to do? And that drew me all to that kind of focus point of, of, of LGBTQ arts, outdoor arts, communities. I was accepted onto a project at Dance City. They ran it for artists, but they let a few producers on, which was great. And by that time, I was feeling comfortable with the word producer. And it was about kind of developing your ideas or your practice. So it was great just to have that time to, it was like about one day a month for a year. And from that thinking and from kind of looking at where the gaps are or what do I want to do, Curious was born because I was looking at the Northeast and thinking, where's our, well, London Pride Festival, Pride Arts, sorry, Queer Contact Festival in Manchester, Homotopia in Liverpool, Glasgow in Glasgow. I was like, hang on, we're a whole region in the Northeast. We might be the smallest, but we're a whole region and we don't seem to have this infrastructure. What I saw looking back was that there was arts projects that underpinned this and were part of how people came together, but there wasn't much at the time. I also looked to the cultural venues that I knew of from my work, and I was, to be honest, personally disappointed um, and frustrated because I looked at what was happening and how I describe it was pink fringing, I call it, pink Mm. fringing. So the venues or the organisations, some of them did some great stuff, but a lot of it was, oh, it's coming up to Pride Month. Let's, let's email our existing database, put a pink banner around it, and we'll do one event. It felt, even though it may not have been intended, tokenistic. It then had no development to it. It was like once a year activity. And I understand that that comes from there's no lived experience in the team that's mm-hmm. curating it or marketing it. They, when you speak to venues, uh, they go, oh, there's no audience. And you go, there's no audience because you don't program it. So it's chicken and egg. Mm. With that project at Dance City, we were given a little bit of money and I put on a one-night event at the Baltic Centre for Contemporary Art in Gateshead and these office blocks that have been turned into artist studios called Breeze Creatives in Newcastle. And yeah, we had a costume sale, we had a cabaret floor, we had a film floor with Nando Messias' films. We had two exhibitions and it, it was so interesting because people... From the scene came, drag acts from the scene came and performed. Artists who don't go on the scene but don't really connect with the mainstream cultural venues came. The cultural venues programmers came. The independent kind of scene came. It was like this really blended community that all came together and kind of engaged with each other in a different way, in in different terms. And I thought, oh, there's definitely something here. It's grown and grown and grown. In 2019, we were the largest queer arts festival in the country. It was like 19 days, and we ended that with a stage at Northern Pride in Newcastle. We had a really beautiful stage with queer artists of colour, queer disabled artists, local artists who wouldn't call themselves artists. So that was a real kind of moment in 2019. But we've also shifted to having much more year-round relationships, so with venues, so we don't want to just be the arts fringe to pride either. So we've got ongoing relationships with venues, conversations around programming. We also seem to be a really useful resource to artists who are trying to get into venues for access to space, rehearsals, small commissioning amounts of money. 
So we kind of champion our queer artists to get their slice of the pie, so to speak. It's very much about trying to open up access to that resource and ensuring that there's an understanding as well in those venues about how to work with and consider what queer communities might might need considering. Yeah, and we also do some training and stuff like that so that, you know, marketing teams feel a bit more confident about using the word queer or understanding why older communities don't resonate with that word. You get some sort of support from Dance City to explore this idea. Mm. Can you talk to us about what that support looked like, what you did with it? So if somebody's thinking, I've identified this need in my community, I mm. want to build something, they could see how you might have done that. As I say, I was on this course with Dunce City and there was like a development bursary at the end. There was like a thousand pounds or something. So with that thousand pounds, I went away and, and made a bigger project. And with Arts Council funding, you can apply as an individual. And I think we applied for about, I applied for about 12,000 pounds. So it made a 13,000 pound total. I made sure that I'd research things and I wasn't saying there's nothing on because there is stuff on. And I made sure that I made a clear case about why this offer was going to be different or pilot something or test something. With that idea, before I put my Arts Council bid in, I emailed lots of venues. No one got back to me because I was quite well known in Tees Valley, but I wasn't necessarily well known in um, in kind of Newcastle, uh, Gateshead area. But I just kind of went to people that I knew. So there's a dance organisation, a dance company called Ballet Lorraine in Newcastle. And I was friendly with one of their dancers. And I said, oh, do you think Liv Lorraine would help? And he said, just ask her for a drink or a, or a chat. So I did that. And then what came of that was she was like, well, we've got loads of costumes that we don't need anymore and we also need to raise money. So they ended up doing a costume sale at the event. So I think it's about inviting people in to support your idea, no matter how big or small it is. And I would have done something without Arts Council funding, but we were very lucky to get Arts Council funding. It also allowed us to make it bigger than the space we were going to be given at Dance City. So if anything, the project was kind of supported by Dance City's development program but it kind of moved out and could be a much more free and queer and take take what the form it needed to take and then just inviting people yeah so like we invited a few performers that existing film curator that was based in the region so I think you're building a team of support around your idea and then whether you have to apply three or four times to the Arts Council or not just Arts Council there's other smaller grants there's projects there's people who are just willing to give their time, which is a thing that once you come out about your idea, think that's the bravest thing you can do. But then people go, I love that. I'll just help. Like there's so much generosity out there, but I guess you have to come out about your idea. And that is quite exposing because it's a personal thing and you, and it's yours and it, something you're super nervous about. But yeah, I think that's the thing to do. I think it goes back to the permission as well of like just asking people for permission. So the first time we did a project with Curious I had emailed the Baltic about five, six times and no one got back to me. And then somebody got back to me and, you know, I wasn't trying to put on an exhibition. I wasn't trying to hire a space. I had no money to hire a space. I was trying to do this thing that they didn't necessarily have a process for. So I kind of got like shut down a few times. But I thought, surely they must want to be involved in this. They just got a new director so I sent an email at like 1am in the morning, which was a begging email. It was also really direct and slightly aspergic. I was just really annoyed that I'd been kind of poo-pooed a few times. Or they just didn't understand me. Or they didn't make time to have a meeting with me so I could explain the idea. And I sent this really direct email. And at 7.01 in the morning, 
the director of the Baltic had been there about a month, replied on her bus journey to work and was like, yeah, this sounds great, and copied in three people and said, let's have a meeting about it. So sometimes it's like what you ask, who you ask it to, how you ask it, and when. Some London producers that I met when I was shadowing Artichoke for London Lumia a few years ago, they called me a midnight producer. They're like, oh, you do all this arts, this queer arts stuff on, uh, after you've done your day job. And I'm like, yeah, I do, because my bills have got to pay my day job. And they called me a midnight producer. But then we were looking at what's the benefits of that. Like, if you can manage it and self-manage it, and you haven't got, you know, or you can manage your caring responsibilities, or you, if you've got a child or a dog or anything like that that you need to deal with, even if it's an hour a night before you go to bed, you can build an amazing project on that, just caring for yourself and doing it how you need to do it. And I thought to myself, there's a real perk of being a midnight producer. If you email at midnight, you're top of the inbox on the morning. And that has definitely worked for me in, in many ways. What do you have to be good at to do this kind of job? I'm really conscious that I might say what I think are big words, but I feel like it's softer than that. So, for example, I think that <laughs> negotiating or influencing people, they sound a little bit loaded, you know. Mm. You know There's power in there. There is power in there. And I think I applied for a job at Arts Council a few years ago and never got it, which was the best thing ever because I wouldn't have done Curious. But, you know, there's a personality test that I had to do and it was trying to work out how good I was at influencing people and things like that. And there was all these words that, as I described them, as loaded. But I think what that comes down to is you have to be good at explaining and listening Hmm. and communicating with people and trying to find an outcome or benefit because that's what negotiating is or influence and influencing you want something from them they'll need something from you if they're an organization or they have to report on giving money or space away and i think there's something about um yeah bringing it down to its basics which is knowing how to make an ask knowing how to win someone's support even in a soft way I've made mistakes before where I've been a bit like, you don't do anything, your organization's terrible. You know, that sometimes banging does achieve something, but it's not the warmest intro. So what I noticed after the first Curious event, which was a pilot and I was really lucky to achieve it, I organized this, uh, this event in December and I called it a queer breakfast brunch. Actually, I did call it that, even though that's really confusing. But that's something I, mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just winging it. So I invited about 10 organizations locally. And people were like, oh, we heard a bit about Curious. We don't know much about it. Yeah, we'll come. Or what's this meeting about? And I was like, invite you to a brunch. Tell about what we've done. Baltic luckily gave us a room and they paid for the brunch. Brilliant. Charm Offensive worked on them. But the others that came, including the Arts Council. So you say if Arts Council come in, some people might, uh, might turn up. It's good. I'll just put the sexiest person's name in the invite and some people might turn up. I think the Arts Council will be flattered that you think they're sexy. I didn't necessarily think they're sexy, but other people might think, oh, they're going, we should be seen to be in this room. So I thought, I know that I'm trying to work out the game that everyone's trying to play. And they want to be seen to be having this conversation about diverse work or intersectional work. So I understood what I was trying to facilitate there. And then what I did is I just opened the floor after I told them how curious had gone and what I think I might want to do in the future with it. I said, oh, can you all share maybe like um, examples of how you've worked with queer artists before and um, what's gone well, what hasn't gone well, or projects where you've, you know, focused on engaging LGBTQ communities or you, young people. The silence was deafening, but it was also, it was not my discomfort. I didn't know they hadn't done that much or that the people in the room weren't the ones that had been involved in the project that happened. 
So I think that was like a moment where I had ultimately stumbled upon facilitating collective awkwardness and acknowledgement of a gap. And then everybody who was in the room was already there. Not everyone turned up. But then it was like, oh, well, you know, we've been interested in doing something. Because then the, the first response is, oh, we need to do something or we should offer something. And then from that came quite a few key partners who've kept coming back every year. But also I wasn't shaming them. I wasn't shouting at them. I wasn't trolling them on, on social media saying, you're terrible. Or you've booked this show and no one came. Like I was trying to say, maybe curious or maybe I could be a, an authentic resource bridging bridging this gap between your intention to engage great queer artists or, or communities and actually having the confidence to do it but also being a I don't like this word either but genuine kind of critical friend of like you have to invite honesty in our conversation otherwise it is all just performative what's a great day look like for you as a producer there's many one might be when you have a project and the project begins to meet people. So when an artist's idea finds its way, whether it's its first iteration or it's the final product, to meeting the public. So whether it's a sharing or it's an end product, for me, that's what drives. I understand sometimes there's R&D projects and they don't need to see people. <laughs> but for me, I just think I'm in this game to effect change. And that's what Curious is about. It's about inviting people to be curious in queer culture. That's why we came up with our name. But yeah, it's about developing artists and audiences and participation. So for me, it's people-centred. Yeah, having people experience something, whether they enjoy it or not, like a response is positive. It's great if you don't enjoy it, but tell us why or express about it so that we can all respond to that or learn from it. There's also another great day is when you bring a creative team together and there's one or a few parts of that which are new because that's just lovely. It's great to work with the same collaborators, but it's really great to open a space up and see how that lands when you throw it all up in the air together. And that, so there's a sense of like, the world is a big place, but in that moment, there's a creative team together with a focus. And they're all bringing who they are into the room. And the same on show day, like there's a moment where, whether it's in a theatre or out in the public realm, people are all together experiencing something. Or online. <laughs> it feels like success as a producer in your world, looks like identifying a need, coming up with a solution to that need, delivering it, is what I'm hearing. But I'd, be, I'd really love to hear in your words what success would look like for you. Mm. I think personally, on a super, super personal level, it's got to be being in love with what you are doing. So like, I have to believe in it. I did jobs for money before, and I know sometimes we have to do that. And there's parts of my other job that I don't love. <laughs> but I think if you can find more happiness than frustration in what you're probably wedding yourself to as the, the, the job or the activity that you'll spend most of your life doing, find a hook in it is for me. So success is unquestionably believing in the project you're doing and the artists you're working with. Because I feel like that is the solid foundation. So whatever happens from that, it'll be successful in some form or for some end recipient, you know, audience member, participant. That's what I think success is. I love that it's a personal answer instead of a 5,000 people come and see the show and they love it and they pay £10 for a ticket, which is what we hear so often in our industry. That is probably what we've been prescribed as success. 
I'm not diminishing other people's perspective of it. It's just, uh, that's success in a moment, isn't it? And how did you go about learning the skills you needed along the way? I think that it came from like being a bit of a business entrepreneur person, you know, an idea, um, a budget, testing something. But I think a lot of listening and watching of other people. I learned a lot from being a trainer at Pizza Hut. You know, how to encourage someone to change their behaviour, remember something, planting an idea. I still remember now, Pizza Hut, it was the mantra was two million smiles and you had to greet somebody at the front door within 20 seconds. Otherwise, you know, you could get marked down for that and upsell the cheese on garlic bread. You know, these things are embedded into your brain. So what, what imprint do you want to leave on other people? You know, whether it's just a key message about the stats of, of, of something about the community or the artists that you're working with, what is that thing? And I know people say, oh, you should boil everything down to a nugget, an elevator pitch. And you should, and you, if you can. But also sometimes, like, it's not possible to do that. So if your way of developing your idea is having a little card about it that's signed possible to a website, just give someone a card. You know, you, you don't have to be this really confident three-sentence pitch and then strut out of a lift as if you've just, you know, been in a lift with the boss of some big venue. It's not reality. One of the things that can be really hard is this feeling of cold calling, cold emailing, cold reaching out. What works? What has worked for you and what hasn't worked for you? Or is it just throw a lot out there and see what lands? I think people are kinder than we think. We get in our heads and we think, oh, I don't know that person. Why would they help me? But somebody probably helped them. So you might not know somebody, but you know someone who knows them. So you can also just ask other people to introduce you. People are generally pretty generous with their time. Like they'll have a coffee or a Zoom these days or whatever it is. Uh, more, more access to networks online, I think, now. There's lots of Facebook groups, like for UK theatre producers, or there's one in, in the northeast called Tyne and We Are Cultural Freelancers. And it really is, like, quite a, a democratic thing. You know, you can just post a question, and, uh, well, I hope people can feel, feel they can. Post a question, and it's okay to feel silly if it's a really obvious question because you don't know something. I mean, I also battle my own demons with that because I'm like... I should know this. People might think I know this. People are going to think I'm terrible if I posted this really obvious question that I should know in there. But we're all making it up as we go, to I think fair. we're all winging it. And I think the thing is, you look at the high salary, high level jobs, and they're making it up. It's just because they have a status of power that no one challenges it. Like, they're <laughs> all winging it. We're all winging it. I mean, what a year to reflect on. Everyone has been winging it. Mm-hmm. So it's just acknowledging that and being like, I bet that person was absolutely winging it and pretending for the first few years of their of their career as well. And people just forget that because they haven't done it for 25 years. But yeah, I think the thing is just being polite, asking to be involved in stuff and, you know, I guess not being precious. Like I went to a lot of things that I was interested in and just tidied up afterwards or did the sign-in sheet. Like I didn't really care as long as I got to see what was happening. And, you know, if you're the sign-in person, then you get to meet everybody. <laughs> Can you describe a moment where you were like, oh my God, like pinch yourself. This is really what I get to do and I've arrived. Have you had a moment? There's, there's been a few, I guess. I, I kind of managed a, an area in London Lumiere at King's Cross 
Um, Which is this huge outdoor light festival, isn't it? It is, yeah. And what was hilarious about that was I had that moment of, wow, this is really great. I'm like supervising this whole area. And then it got shut down within an hour because it was too busy. (laughs) So that's, you know, uh, just funny looking back. But I guess the moment for me was probably in, in the previous Curious Festival when people had told me that something couldn't happen. And I chose not to believe them and keep going with it. And it was two things in that year. One was the booking of Liz Agus uh, in Newcastle Gateshead. And I'd never get a venue. No one will support you. You won't get the match funding. She's, you know, she's established. She won't come. All these things. But I just kind of sent a cheeky email. I was like, oh, hi, Liz. I saw you perform at something nine years ago. I fancy coming to this thing. I've only got this much money. And she was one of the most kind and supportive people ever. And she came and she rocked it and she did life drawing the day before. She was a model for life drawing. And and that was hilarious because that weekend we also put an inflatable church of love on the quay side of Newcastle. Again, some of the council folk were like, oh, you'll never get it. There's been so many issues with inflatables, this, that and the other. But we realised there, we were stood there on the Tyne River next to the Sage Gate said Liz Agus was posing with a voga being life drawn with David Hoyle as well. And then on the lower square called Baltic Square outside the Baltic Centre for Contemporary Art, we had this big inflatable church with performers and whoever was walking across the Millennium Bridge was walking into this space and you could marry your dog or your bike or your best friend. And it was just about a big theatrical performance in a big inflatable church of love. And it was playful and queer and inviting and family friendly and that was a moment we were like, these two things that we got told would not happen, have happened. And uh, yeah, you kind of cry because you're exhausted. But yeah, it's like, you know what? Sometimes the no is because you're asking the wrong person or it's just an extra thing that puts fire in your belly. What did you say to yourself in that moment? I think I did cry, but I gave my colleague, my, she's my friend now, but she joined Curious a few years ago. So she's the other producer, Ellie. She's great. We kind of had a hug moment. We were like, can we actually believe this happened? You know, because there's so many random things. The lorry bringing the inflatable truck was going to be late. It got broke down. And it was like, yeah, we pulled this off. Like all those late nights or all those endless meetings were, were worth it. So yeah, I think it was just seeing that acknowledgement with each other was really powerful. I know a lot of people that would marry their dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Especially after the year that we've had. Totally. Can totally. imagine this inflatable house of love? Like, how beautiful would that be? So lovely. I loved this concept of the midnight producer and kind of working the hours that really suit your kind of energy levels, your way of working, that kind of thing. And that actually, who, whoever you are and whatever time of day you might operate best, there will be lots of other pros that can, or things that can really work for you as a result of that. And I so, don't think he would say that you should work all hours. He talks about sustainability of a career and, and working himself to burnout early on, mm. right? In, in, in between 18 and 30. But he would say, have the flexibility to know when you need to work because there will be positives, like you're saying, Phoebe, to that. He also talked about negotiating and influencing people. Yeah. And what that really means. And actually, it's about listening a lot of the time and really um, gently communicating about something and finding the right angle for 
who it is you're trying to get over the line. And brunch, brunch clearly persuades people. (laughs) I love that example of him inviting everyone and sort of thinking, okay, I know it's important that if the arts council are there, other people will want to show up. And he found someone to pay for the brunch and, you know, all of these simple things, but that actually, you know, if there's food there, people will always show up. For me, I think that was a really simple but effective example of how to how to convene people, how to um, then, you know, shed light on the fact that none of these organisations had an offering that made sense for the queer communities mm. that were they were supposed to be serving. Mm. And I think he describes it in, in, in a really interesting, he just goes, be charming. Mm. And, you know, he would be the first to say, you don't have to have the perfect pitch. Someone wiser than me once said, it's not about what you say, it's not about what you do. In the end, people will only really remember how you made them feel. It's exactly that. And what you say and what you do feeds into that, but, but the feeling is what they're left with. Mm. I also love that he talks about being scared to call himself a producer. Yes. And not knowing that, that that was the term for him, actually. It felt bigger than him. Yeah. But actually going, oh, these specific skill sets coming together make me a producer and I can own that title. And I think it's really empowering to a lot of people who are just making things happen to go, call yourself a producer. That's what you do. And when you call yourself that, people will also respond to you in a way that goes, oh, this person's going to get something done. He talked about being a young, awkward, queer person in the Northeast of England and not feeling like he fit in at school, not feeling like they had the cultural offerings in his local area. And he made them for himself and for other people. And what he did was he called out pink fringing, as he calls it, going, you guys are programming the one gay night as this sort of like number. And actually, representation doesn't look like that. Representation looks like properly supporting people year round, putting on this work in a consistent, thoughtful way. You can't expect for people to come to you as an arts organization, as a museum, as any, if they don't see themselves represented. So change your program, throw something that is relevant. And, and they will come. come. So I want to thank Phil for joining us on Arts Work. It's such an inspiring story to hear from. Phil mentioned a lot of arts organizations, a lot of artists, especially up in the Northeast. You can find some of those details in the show notes. And if you want to find more about Curious Arts, you can follow them on Twitter. Arts Work is brought to you by Sadler's Wells in association with Barclays Dance Pass. Your hosts are Ankur Bahel and Phoebe Reith. The producer is Hester Kant, and the series is mixed by Paul Brogdon. So if you know somebody who has an idea but doesn't yet know they're a producer and would love to learn how to make it happen, send this episode to them. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Share the podcast with folks that you love and make sure to leave a review because that helps us get the word out to other people like you. And join us next time.